This is Joanna Connor. And this is Bugsy, a.k.a. Alfonso De Niro. And you're listening to Talking Blues. Okay, so here we are in Chicago, and Joanna Connor has been kind enough to sit with me, and she brought her friend Alfonso to this interview. And so I've been always wanted to meet you, because I know that... You're a big part of the Chicago scene. I've seen you play many times on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I know I see your name at Kingston Mine all the time. All the time, um, yeah. And um, you have quite a reputation as a guitar player. Thank you. Alfonso, tell me a little bit about you. I'm um, originally from Washington, D.C., and uh, I, I moved to Chicago to um, pursue my music and fashion career, so... And and my mother and my mother lives lives out here as well, so I just felt like you know, just a just a new beginning, something that's something that's refreshing, and just start off and start over and just you know go full 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 steam ahead with my uh, music and fashion. Um, tell me the distinction between music and fashion. What, what's I can understand the music part. Mm-hmm. You're a rapper. What's the fashion part? I'm an artist. <laughs> But um, the, the the fashion is the fashion is it's to me to me it's um it's it's the cover of your book, you know you being you know whoever you may be an artist uh you know a working man or whatever you know I think the I think it's like the cover of your book it's it's it tells a lot about the person that you are because you know we in in society we have this thing it's like never judge a book by its cover but. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. So if you look like, if you look a certain way, then people will, you know, come at you and, and talk to you and, and dialect that same way. So, and I and I think and I also think I think um, as an artist, it really like meshes together. It's like that persona. Who are you? What am I? But is this fashion purchasable? Is this for you or is this for? Yeah, you know, the market. Um, so, so, so soon it'll be it'll be it'll be pur- purchasable. I'm um I just I just um walk I, I just pretty much is like a walking um mannequin. <laughs> pretty much right now at this point in time, you know, just a uh, just show the show the younger the younger crowd and stuff that uh, you can you you could you could look a certain way, and and people will you know perceive you like that. There's nothing wrong with like looking good or. You know, having confidence in yourself. Right. So you're, basic... you're wearing a Joanna Connor T-shirt. <laughs> Absolutely. To my manager, who's wonderful. <laughs> did you design that? No, actually, I didn't design mm-hmm. this one. <laughs> I did actually. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. So he's very fashionable, and he has a million looks. Yeah. Like, so you never. One day he looks like a combination of Frank Sinatra with hip hop or whatever, but he's he's very uh very unique. Okay, so for both of you, how mm-hmm. important is image? How important is that that look? Well, we're on opposite sides of the fence here, he, him and I. But uh, for me, it was that was a problem for me coming up in the music business because I never had the look, and um, you know, it was either too big or my nose is too big. I wasn't blonde. It was I mean, especially back in the '80s and when MTV first hit. You know, if you didn't look like Madonna. Um, it was a problem. So, yeah, um, I think that what he says about being a canvas and being expressive about what you feel inside, I think that's a great thing. I think that now when you look at fashion and um, people's image, it's such a wide open um, 
field. It's like you can be anything and everyone. But back when I hit the music scene, everything was kind of in a box and a category uh, culturally, musically, fashion. And I never fit into a box. So that was always an issue. So cause, Because I did have major labels interested in me way back in my career. But it's like, we don't know how to market you. We don't know where to put you. Uh, I think now what I love about the whole cultural scene throughout America is the lines are blurred. And it's exciting. And like you can go into a store and you go, oh, I remember this when I was growing up in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And you can add the 80s. And you can add, and it's the same with the music. Right. And that for me, my artistic vision, because I grew up in the 70s, when you put on the radio and you could hear Led Zeppelin, Johnny Cash, Olivia Newton-John, whatever, I grew up listening to everything. And so it was really hard for me to dial that back, although I love the blues and I listened to blues my whole life, courtesy of my mom. Blues is just part of what I loved. But I knew in my heart that it was the root of everything. So that's kind of a long explanation. But what I'm really loving right now in 2019 is everything's exploding in a good way, culturally. And I feel very optimistic about that. Alfonso, fashion is a big part of who you are. Yes. Tell me how it defines you. Well, um, well, gr- growing up, um, my mother, she raised, uh, she, I'm, a, I'm a twin, so she raised four kids by herself. And so, like, going, growing, going to school and seeing, you know, the kids with, like, the newest shoes or the newest clothes. And it was like, wow, I want that. But I also understood the situation that my mother was in. So it was like, I never like placed that burden on her. And I was just like, and I always told myself, it was like, once I get, once I get old enough to, to make, make my own money and generate some revenue for myself, I want to dress nice because that was always a thing that I always wanted to do. But, you know, given the times and the circumstances, wasn't able to. So, so I learned I learned a lot, like just from looking at the people that had the nice clothes on. So it was like, once I got, once I was able to 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 buy my own clothes and stuff, I knew how to put it together, and that was it was it was a special thing to me. And um, my little sister, which is younger, she's like she's two years younger than me. She was like always like a fa- she was like super fashionable, and I just learned from her. I learned from my little sister like how to put certain colors together and how to just mesh how to how to mesh everything it's like 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 she was saying one day I could one day I could come outside and I look like a rock star and then the next day I'll look like I do blues and the next day I'd look like I do jazz or I'm look like oh I could look like I'm about to go to an opera or something it's 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 just just I was just so fascinated with with how it's like a, it's like a canvas it's like an art like you paint in a picture and it's like so fascinated with how Outfits or clothes or garments or you know could could make could make that 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 character or that what you were going for stand out and it could be something so small like the right pair of jeans. But is that an easy thing for you to do? It's a it's a very easy thing for me to do. Absolutely, I really I really I really feel like I was uh, born with that that fashion um, sense. So, yeah, it's very easy for me. It's very easy for me. All day, I think about what I'm going to wear. When mm. I'm, yeah, all day, from the time that I wake up, it's like, what, what am I going to wear? Check the weather. It's, it's always a thing. I'm just always constantly thinking. And then I'll put something on, and I'll be like, wow, that came out perfect. <laughs> you know? Cool. Um, 
I want to talk to both of you about how you got into music. Um, Joanna, you just talked about your mom mm-hmm. and what a great influence she was. Tell me how, um, but beyond that, tell me how you got into music and how you decided to play a guitar. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I and it's for whatever reason, I can remember things very early in my life. <clears throat> and Louis Armstrong, you remember Hello, Dolly? I, I, really, I used to try to sing like Louis Armstrong, and when I looked and like, the internet when that was I was two years old and I remember it vividly in that apartment trying to sing like that so music captured me from earliest consciousness I imagine and then when I was seven all of my girlfriends were taking ballet lessons and I was always extremely tall I, I stopped going when I was 12 I was five nine at 12 so she, I was a little awkward <laughs> well I probably needed ballet lessons but anyway my mom was like well, instead of ballet lessons, I got you this, and it was a classical guitar, and like a Sears classical guitar, of course. Like, Sorry, and did you have any on. interest in guitars? At no. That okay. I mean, I loved music. I used to sing all the time and dance and pretend I was on stage and had a mic and whatever. But no, I was like guitar, you know. So I studied for like two years, you know, basic and then classical, and then I quit for a long time. And then in high school, then I picked up the saxophone. Played throughout school, sang in the chorus. I was always in music. <clears throat> and then my girlfriend at the time in high school, she got a guitar. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to pick it back up again. And I never put it down. So, and do you remember what you started playing when you decided to pick it up again? Well, my mom worked at a university. And I was, and she knew uh, one of the people work, working there, her husband taught guitar. And this is fate right here. He taught blues and he taught slide, and he taught ragtime and delta. And I played acoustic then, so under his tutelage, I mean, I was playing Robert Johnson, Memphis Mini, Blind Lemon Jefferson at like 14. <laughs> well, like everybody else is like, I was a freaking weirdo, to be honest with you. So, But did you I, connect with that music immediately? I loved it, yeah. I mean, I always loved blues-based rock a lot. I mm. loved the Stones. I loved Zeppelin, the Yardbirds. I mean, they were a little before my time in a way, because by that time... It was, let me think, Boston and bands like that in high school. But um, I loved that blues-based rock, and I was a Stones fanatic. So, of course, I read about them, and it was like, oh, Muddy Waters, that's what they named themselves after a song. So I was like, okay, yeah, I could uh, I could get on board with this. And he really exposed me to things I would have never known about. So it was, a yeah, a wonderful twist of fate. Are you going to see the Stones tonight? No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. No. <laughs> No. Okay, Alfonso, I know very little about the world of rap, and I don't know. I, I have a pretty good sense of how one goes, tries to become a blues musician, and, and I know that every genre is difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, not, nobody, it's not easy for anybody out there. But yeah. tell me, if you decide as a young kid that you want to be a rapper, and is that the correct term? Like, should I? Is that like, yeah, I okay. mean, me personally, I like, I like to... I like to um, Call my, I like to call myself as a, a, an artist. Okay. Because I do like, I don't just rap, you know, I, I, I write, I do blues, you know, I do, I do jazz, we, I perform with her, you know, so I'm just an artist all, all the way around musically. Okay, but if you were to be, if you got, because the world is the way it is yeah. and you kind of have to fall into a cylinder, mm-hmm. what musical genre are you trying to make a name for yourself in? Hip hop. Okay. So tell me about the world of hip hop and how 
as a young man, how you decided to follow this okay. and, and also um, what goals you set for yourself? Okay. Um, well, it started, it started um, in school, I want to say third grade, really. Yeah, like third grade, um, I was infatuated with like poetry and the different ways that you write the different sonnets and, and things of that nature. And, and I always, it was, it, was, it was very intriguing to me. It was like how, how, how you can make these words rhyme or you could do this and then the next line will be, it's, it's not going to rhyme and then the second line will, you know. So it started with poetry with me. And then, um, and then growing up, uh, my older cousins, they, they had like, um, they had like this, this rap group. And, and one day I asked, can I get on the song? And it was like, you don't know, you, you don't know how to rap. And I'm like, let me, let me, let me, let me see if I can do it. So, um, so I went, so I went home, I went home and I tried to write raps. I tried to write and I just could not write raps. So, so I had my aunt to, I had my aunt to come help me. And I was like, everything that I say, write it down for me because I can't write right now. Like, I don't even, I can't even, it, could, it was like sp speed. It was, it was just too fast for me. It was like, I'm thinking about this, thinking about this, thinking about this. Right. And, it's, and, and I just couldn't put it together on the paper. So I said, so I asked my older aunt, um, I said, everything that I say, write it down for me. So, so I just started rapping and she wrote it down. And then after I was finished, I read, I was reading it and I was like, wow, that's good. So I took so I took the so I took the rap to my uh, to my older cousin's group, and they they were rapping their verses. They were rapping their verses, and it was like, "Let me hear what you got." So I pulled out my pad and I start reading, and I'm 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 so young at the time. They're like six, 16, 17 at the time. I'm probably like 10, 11, around that age, and I had the best verse on the song. Like everybody was like, who was that guy? And it was just like, and it was a rush for me. It was like, wow, I could like, I could rap. I could really rap. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then, it, and then from there, uh, my mother, she used to, this was when, this was when like the CDs, you could, you could get the CD. It was, it was a single, you can buy the single and it would be, it would be the, the unedited verse version of the song. Then it would be the clean radio version, and then the last song will be the instrumental to that song. So I used to just ask my mother to buy me instrumentals, buy me instrumentals. And I used to just write and rap. Well, I, I, it took me a while to write, but I used to just rap. And my aunt would like write it down every time. Cause she's like, yeah, you, you're really good. You need to like rap. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I used to um, get uh, instrumentals and rap over instrumentals and write them and, and have my aunt write for me. And it just became, it was, it, it became natural. And it was like, wow, I could like rap without writing anything down. Like I could rhyme, I could, I could put words together. I can put this together and make it sound, make it, you know, make it relevant, make it sound good. Like it goes together without writing. And it was like, wow, it was mind blowing to me because I never did it before. So what, what we call freestyling. So, um, so I used to, so, so my mother used to give me the, 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 the sample, the, the CDs with the instrumental, and I started just start writing, 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 and then, and then I got this one instrumental, and it was a Tupac instrumental, and I'm like, listening to his words, 
because it was it was a thing. It was like a it was a thing. It was like, all right, I'm gonna rap over this instrumental to this song. So let's let's try to make the song along the lines of the original song, kind of like a cover with my own twist to it. Right. And I just would listen to him. I would just listen to um, uh, uh, to Dear Mama by Tupac, and I was like, wow, this dude is deep. And then I just started just started doing my homework on him and bought bought uh, the rose that grew from concrete. I had my mother buy me that book, and just started reading it. And it was like uh, it was like uh, uh, inspired by Maya Angelou, and he had like a book of poems, and I was like, wow, that's how I started. Like it was like, wow, this is probably this is like my spirit animal right here. So I just I so I just so I started listening to Tupac and then I just became a fan. I just became overwhelmed with like how, you know, he can evoke so much emotion with his words. Was and when you started doing this, was the end goal to record an album, to perform live? What yeah, was it's always it was always a performance. I love to perform. I love I I I love talking to people. I'm a people's person. So it was like one of those things I I was always like a performer. And did you was it important that you come to Chicago to f- pursue this? Like why would you not stay in DC? Is there yeah, more opportunities? It was um yeah it was definitely um it was uh, the the fact it was um in DC it's not really that much going on as far as like music we really don't have a music scene as far as rap we have our own like genre of music go go music and that's that's our genre of mu- music we have our own thing and it was like but 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 nobody's elevating from that it's just like in the city you know so I just wanted to do I I didn't want to be like in the city. I wanted to be all around the world. I want to go overseas and people's like, oh, hey, you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 that's, I wanted, I, that's what I wanted. And why I came here at the time, like Chicago was really big on, on music and not even just music, uh, uh, entertainment. Like a lot of comedians come from here, a lot of jazz. It's, 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 it's just deep. It's deep. Mm-hmm. So, so I was like, yeah, that would be a great place. That would be a great place for me to start. And it's something it was something new. And yeah, absolutely. That's 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 pretty much why I came here. So So Joanna, I, I presume I know why you came here. But <laughs> <laughs> blues capital of the world. But was mm-hmm. it important to come to Chicago? Like, yes. Because? Well, at the time, um I came here late nineteen eighty four, Stevie Ray Vaughan and the Thunderbirds. Austin was the big mm-hmm. blues mecca at that time. But when I was coming up, sneaking into clubs in Boston, um, I saw all the Chicago bands, Sun Seals, Lonnie Brooks, the Big Twist and the Mellow Fellows, Buddy Guy, Junior Wells, et cetera, et cetera, and Albert Collins, even though he was not he was still the Chicago sound. So even though I love Stevie Ray and that Texas thing, the Chicago had the soul and the R&B and the power and the funkiness. Mm-hmm. James Cotton was another one I loved, and he always had funky bands. I mean... So I related to it more, and I'm like, and everybody's like, oh, there's nothing happening in Chicago, blah blah blah, Austin, blah blah blah. So I went on a cross country van trip, hippie trip with uh, my band, you know, mattresses in the back of the van, the whole thing. And I'm 19, and we were like, and, and this is a blues band. Yeah, I was in a blues band back home, and um, basically a singer and a rhythm guitar player. I hadn't didn't play a whole lot of. I couldn't really figure out how to play lead guitar. I, which I find very interesting. But, I mean, that makes sense. Like everybody starts somewhere. Yeah, right? I was a late bloomer. I mean, I didn't really take a guitar solo until I was 22. 
So when people come up to me, oh my God, I, I'll never learn to play guitar. I'm like, listen, I didn't take a solo until I was 22, so it's and, okay. And was it that, that you weren't interested or did you feel like you needed to work on the rhythm first and before you tackled lead or what was the thinking behind that? Well, this is a detriment for me. There's certain gifts I was given and one is rhythm. I can, I always could feel rhythm on my whole life. Like it was never a problem for me. Um, feeling the music was there. But my ear was always a disconnect. Like I would listen to things, but I would look at the guitar and go, how do I do this? And it's still hard for me. My ear is okay, but it's not great. But I know my feeling for music is, it was a gift, you know? So I had to work hard on that. And then there's some people show me some scales. I could, and it kind of opened up, but I, I, I always tell people the best way to learn to play music is to watch people live mm -hmm. because it's something for me anyway maybe it's the visual learning i need um some people can pick everything up off a record but for me it's like if i'm in the room with you watching i'm going to really learn and absorb plus how exciting is it to be there so anyway so to make a long story short we stopped in chicago and i'm here it's funny for whatever reason i ended up on halstead street across from the kingston mines it was a payphone and i'm, I'm looking in the reader <laughs> looking for music, and this guy comes walking by with a sax. He goes, hey, how you doing? Just randomly. I said, I'm looking for a blues club. He goes, right there is the Kingston Mines. So I look at, like, fate, like, dropping me off in this neighborhood. I don't even know why I was there. And I'm like, really? So, I, I mean, I wasn't old enough to get in. But okay, but sorry. At this point, you're 22? Well, I was 19. 19. That's my okay. first trip, yeah. And are you thinking that music is something you're going to pursue? Oh, I knew it. I quit high school at 17 like an idiot because I was like, you know what? I was in my first band. When we were making money, I'm like, I'm not going back to school. I'm done. I'm going to be a rock star so <laughs> or a, a musician. So I did, and I never went back, and I was always like that, very stubborn and determined, you know, but in a way it was good. So I, when I, my mate, I came to Chicago and I'm like, go to the Kingston Mines and I go to blues across the street and I'm seeing Junior Wells and Lonnie Brooks and Otis Clay and all these people everywhere that I listen to on records everywhere right then. We go to the South Side, go to the checkerboard and see all of them. And, you know, I walk in and buddy guys playing cards with Junior Wells. I'm like, I'm moving here. So even though I had a band at home and we did well, because Boston, and I don't know if where you come yeah. from is that. Worcester, yeah. but yeah, we played Boston. I mean, Boston a, has... A decent scene. A very decent Especially scene. back then. I mean, they had Room Full of Blues was around them, Duke Robillard yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And they were very connected to the Texas sound. I, mean, I think it was kind of a... Austin and Boston had a kind of a connect. But I, I also grew up... I mean, I, my first band I was in, I was playing with older guys, and they were, like, really teaching me the real traditional blues stuff. So I was playing with them and... Um, you know, singing blues stuff and R&B and the stacks, Memphis stuff. And so it was good. It was a good education. But I'm like, I'm moving to Chicago because I love it. And I'm going to learn to play the guitar in Chicago. And I'm going to find someone. I'm going to get in that band. I don't want to sing anymore. I just want to play. And I want to become a guitar player. And so <laughs> that's what I did. I went out. I moved here on a Greyhound bus, you know, with my amp and my guitar. I had a cousin here who found me a really cheap apartment, which I... It was amazing, $280 a month, which you can't find anywhere. And I, I was actually, I worked in the kitchen. I was a prep cook, so I got a job, like, right away um, at a French restaurant. How were you accepted, or how, how were you embraced by the city? I was rejected and accepted. It depended on the human. Um, I got a, I was young. 
I was a female. I was white. Um, Were you good? I'm still white, yes. I'm still female. Um, <laughs> Were you a good player? You know what? I was a very good rhythm guitar player. I, I know that. I still am. That's my strength. And which, is, I, which is something that a lot of people don't really focus um, on. Yeah, but yeah. It, when, when you see somebody who's an excellent rhythm guitar yeah. player, you really appreciate You do what they bring to the table and how yeah. much they add to the music. You do. I mean, that was my thing. And I would laser focus on whoever I was backing up. So, And then when I started to play lead, being a female playing lead guitar, even if it was rudimentary, it was very exciting for people. Like, oh, my goodness, this woman. Because there was nobody doing it. Miss Bonnie Raitt had a little slide, and that was it. You know, there was <laughs> no one. There was Memphis Minnie, but she was dead. And she didn't play lead. She played finger stuff. So there I was up there you know, play my little thing, and I, I guess I was good enough to convince people that I could play, so... How long did it take for you to realize that you were better than just good? I don't even know if I still believe that, but I, I kind of knew, like, it's funny, all my life, I was a little girl, I was like, I'm not going to live a normal life, I'm going to be somebody. I always thought that, you know, and... I'm not going to be a As a matter of fact, I purposely did not go to typing class because that's what we had back then. <laughs> I flunked because I said, I don't ever want to learn how to type because I don't ever want to be a secretary. I was like that. I was just a crazy, radical girl. So, um, and, and what was your idea of making it back then? I mean, everybody has big dreams. You know, you want to be winning the Grammy and playing in stadiums. And, and I thought, I was like, oh, by the time I'm... 25, I'm going to be a star, you know. So, um, But I'm going to learn the blues, and then I'm going to move to California, and I'm going to become a rocker, you know. Although I love the blues, but I, my goal was to get the blues so deep inside of me and then take it to the rock because it had been a long time since that kind of blues rock had happened. And I'm like, nobody's paying attention to that. You know, there was glam rock, there was punk rock, but, it, like, the blues thing was kind of gone from it. There was grunge later on. Uh, but, yeah, so that got sidetracked. I had a kid, and I stayed in the blues. And um, okay, and that yeah. was a big moment in your life, too, right? Because you, you were touring quite extensively back then, and then you decided, that's it. I'm going to raise my family and get a gig in Chicago. Oh, well, no, that was fast-forward my second child. So okay. I actually might raise my son on the road for many years. I mean, he traveled the world with me. And I didn't think I was going to have another kid. I'm like, that's it, I'm done. And then, ta-da, I was like 35, and my daughter came. And the first few years, she was a baby. I still toured, and then it just got more and more difficult. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. And I went back to the Kingston Mines, and they said, sure, we'll give you a gig. And House of Blues said, sure, we'll give you a gig. And I had four nights a week before I knew it. So I was like, I could come off the road and just take a few things now and then and raise my daughter. Because by that time, my son was already, well, he was 11 when she was born, but... When he, by the time I got the steady gigs, he was in high school. So, so was that a, you know, I asked this question the other day, and it seems almost silly to ask, but was that a difficult decision to make? Because no. I know it's family, and you have to raise your yeah. family. So, but, but you had these aspirations of doing something with your music, and you were touring the world. Yeah. And now you're saying, okay, I, I got to change my focus and do this. Well, I did it for like 15 years. I traveled to 30 countries and 49 states, so I was like, I was kind of burned out. 
it's a lot. And it wasn't like I was traveling luxuriously most of the time. It was me driving a van, mapping everything. So I was like, you know, I'm ready to, to make a change. And um, so I, I did, I mean, I had goals. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world, and I did. So I didn't, I didn't have any regrets about it. And, and at that point in my life, I, mean, I was almost 40. So I was like, it's all good, you know, as long as I can make a living. And, I, I, and all the dreams of the big stardom, I'm like, what, who cares? I'm just happy being a musician. Right. And I and I kind of like surrendered that dream. And I was like, and if it never happens, it never happens. I don't care. I I filled a lot of things I wanted to do, and I have no regrets. So I made peace with it. Yeah. I mean, but it wasn't a difficult thing. No. Not for me, no. I mean, music is a difficult thing, period. You yeah. know, it's always bringing up challenges. And I think what was really difficult when I'm on the road... I remember being in Germany on a night off, and my son's, like, getting an award for basketball, and I can't be there. That broke my heart, you know, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And this is before there was Skype and FaceTime. There was just a phone, and uh, that was difficult for me. So being able to be home and be with my daughter, it was worth it to me, you know, and still play music. Right. Yeah. And, and musically, how do you get better? By being your own worst critic. Yeah, you can never be satisfied. Like, every time I'm playing, if I make one mistake, I'll play it over on stage till I get it right. I'm, like, fanatical about things. And if I make a mistake singing, I'm like, oh, you can see me do that. <laughs> I, I do it on stage. I know people, they might notice, they might not, but I'm like, oh. Um, I want to be the best musician I could be. And I, mean, I want to start studying again. I want to take jazz guitar. I want to expand my vocabulary. So that's my next mission, probably after the summer. Okay, so expanding your vocabulary, one of the reasons why Alfonso is here is because mm -hmm. he's on your album. Yes. So tell me about how you two met and, <laughs> and about what what this partnership or what this represents. Well, it's you know, things have been, in my life, have been moving so fast lately, but in such a great way. I mean, I've gotten a lot of recognition from Joe Bonamassa, from Tracy Guns, from L.A. Guns and Guns N' Roses, um, from Vernon Reed, from Living Color, the last few months. Like, okay, explain how that happens. From the internet. like Good old few, internet. Uh, I, I, which I always underplayed. I'm like, oh, the internet. Ah. Okay, let's, let's, sorry, okay. let's go back and yeah. talk about that clip. Oh, the clip, the famous <laughs> the clip. clip, yeah. This is from the North Atlantic yeah. Blues Festival. Uh -huh. And somebody posted it, and you just... <sighs> Going crazy. It went crazy. I mean, it's only like 1.5 million views on, on YouTube, but it literally, I had interviews in London, Sweden, Italy, Brazil. I think it had maybe 60 million people viewed that video. Okay, and, and, and when you watch that performance. <laughs> I what, can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Well, you know, it's funny. I had I had had a few videos. My biggest video was I wrote a song about marijuana years ago, and that was like 40,000. And I was like, oh, that's pretty good for blues video, but because it's a funny song about yeah. smoking weed. It was a reggae tune, actually. So that was about as big as it got, and I didn't pay much attention. And then I get a call from the guy who did the video, which I didn't even know it was there because I don't look at my own videos. I mean, now I do, but then I was like, oh, whatever. And he says, like, you know... You've got 100,000 views in Russia. I'm like, 100,000? And, and then it just went boom, 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 boom. And I started to get like all these things from like 4 million in Brazil. So, so are you making any money off this? No, 
I'm not. We tried Does to monetize make- it. I got okay. a lawyer. No, not even the guy that did the video because he didn't watermark, whatever. He didn't yeah, mark okay. it. So it literally went, and it was in China, and it was in Japan. I mean, I got great press from it. I got a really good gig playing for a Russian oligarch over that in Spain on a mountain. So, like, things happen. Mm-hmm. But it, it opened my eyes to the, the power. See, this is the thing uh, that really uh, kind of came home to me. I mean, not to brag, but whatever festival we were on with the flavor of the day, we would kick their butts, usually. Like, people went nuts. And it, But the record industry never said, she's the one, she deserved, never. Never. They kind of fished around, I almost got signed a few times, they'd back away. Why do you think that is? I think because, you know, like I said, I didn't fit into a neat little package, visually or musically. Um... I had a multi-ethnic band all the time. It was just a lot of things. My music was kind of, you know, it it wasn't traditional. It was like too bluesy for rock, too rock for blues, whatever, you know. So it was always an issue. But I also think I look at it from a spiritual standpoint because life is more than this. I, I felt like I wasn't ready, and the universe knew that. I want to call it God of the universe. I wasn't ready for, even when that video went viral and I started to get like a ton of calls, like record companies, I was, I was afraid. I was literally afraid. And I was like, I wasn't ready. I was like, I can't deal with this. But this time around, another video went crazy. I was ready. I'm like, bring it. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And then things started to happen more than that first one. So, like, you know, Joe Bonamassa said stuff, and Gibson and Tracy Guns called Gibson to get me a guitar, and I talked to him almost every day, and Vernon Reed, and I think because I'm ready mentally. Can I, can I ask you what, what it is about your playing that attracts these people? Like I, and, <laughs> I and asked I, the same question. No, no I mean, I, 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 you know, without being a musician, not yeah. being a musician, yeah. Um, do you bring something to the table that other people don't? Is it, or can I? I'm not yeah. even sure if you can say what it is. Well, I kind of analyze it because you know I'm in my body doing what I do, and people are like, "Oh my God, you're so amazing!" I'm like, "I'm just doing me." It's I I think when I watch myself, it's very intense and it's very aggressive, um, and a lot of females that can play, they don't have that aggression. I'm like naturally like. Like when I did the Dallas Guitar Festival with four other women, they're like, they were good, but you were just going insane. And that's just, I'm like, that's just who I am, you know? So That's just you in the bedroom. It's just me, just that part. I get up there and I'm like, eh, you know? So I think it's the raw, visceral, from the gut kind of player that I am. And I have chops, enough chops. It's not sloppy. Um, How do you get better? How do you get better? Yeah. Like, like at I, one point, I, I was told that you don't really practice that much. No. I play, like, literally 20 hours a week. So literally playing. So it's like, uh. um, I want to start practicing, though, because I feel like I've kind of reached the pinnacle, and I want to push it further, so I need some guidance, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think my last pinnacle or my last push will be jazz because that's, like, a huge... Like, it's more colors, you know, cording, scales, whatever. Right. Okay, so... You're obviously doing more than blues, and always yeah. have. Yeah. Um, and going back to my question about your connection with Alfonso. Oh yeah, let's get to that one. Okay, <laughs> so, so we went on a, a road there, didn't we? No, interesting and worth listening to. But okay, in in your pursuit to expand your horizon, mm-hmm. I presume 
working with an artist mm-hmm. like Alfonso mm-hmm. had something to do with it. Yes. Tell me about how you connected and what this is about. Okay, well, first of all, my son is a hip-hop producer, mm-hmm. which I say is he's a composer. They call it a producer. He has his own little studio, and he makes beats and tracks. And um, He's amazing, too. Yeah, he's really good. He is good. I mean, he grew up on the laps of musicians, so he mm-hmm. um, he was a drummer, too. He was a good drummer. Yeah. But anyway, so he did that, and I and he's worked with about 40, 50 rappers, and I was in his studio, and then usually, like, every now and then, I'll come over to his house, and say, oh, play me some music, and... He played me like 10 seconds of his group. It's like him, Alfonso, and another guy who's Cuban. And it's called Bilingo, B-U-Y-L-I-N-G-O. And I was like, these guys are hot. And I had this tune that I wanted to have some rap on. And I used a rapper once before in another tune I recorded. I mean, this is a kind of a revelation. So I'm, I'm going to sidetrack again. But I was my daughter, was uh, she's a basketball player. And we were being doing an official visit in Indiana State, which is like four hours of country road. <laughs> and she listens to nothing but hip-hop. So I was sitting there, because like, hip-hop used to alienate me because a lot of it was sampled. It wasn't real musicians, quote-unquote. Yeah. But I'm driving for hours and hours in the dark while she's sleeping. And I'm like, this is the blues in another form. Mm-hmm. It's raw. It's passionate. It's rhythmic. It's African. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, man, I, I actually like a lot of this, you know? So it kind of opened up my brain. Plus, watching my son make music, right. even with samples, I realized how much creativity is involved, just a different kind mm-hmm. of creativity. Yeah. So I don't look down on it. But at first, as a musician, I was like, ah, you know, you look down, and I'm like, they don't pick up an instrument. And I realized, no, it's just a different way of creating. So fast forward, so I'm in my son's studio, and I hear this Spanish rapper and then this American rapper, and I'm like, I want those guys. It was just the way he rapped, Alfonso rap, was so rhythmic, and he's such a great tone in his voice. And then the Spanish rapper had this deep, resonant voice, very rhythmic, both of them. So we got in the studio, and they like free. I was like so impressed because they sat there, they listened to the tune I did. I told them kind of what it was about, and like just sitting there with their pads of paper, and like he went in first, and it was so clever what he wrote, and so, it was, like on the spot. On the yeah. spot, and I actually, I actually didn't even write to that to the to um. You freestyled it. Yeah, I didn't even have a pen or a pad. Okay, it was I went in there and did. went just off the top of my head, like what I was telling you about when when I had my aunt to write, help me write. Same thing. I just I went in. She gave me a concept. I went in, thought about it, and I just laid it down, and it came out wonderful. Do you play an instrument? Do you play any musical instruments? You know, um. Uh, growing up, growing up, I always was in a band. Um, I, I I I played the tripes, percussion, and I played the bass drum, but that's about it. I played the cymbals as well. Okay, so when when you're rapping and you're making up these words and doing freestyle, mm-hmm. how similar is that to you improvising on the drums? Do you know what I mean? Is it? It's um, like it's not really planned. Things just happen. Right. Right? Yeah, it's like. It's like, it's like you pick you, you. It's like you pick up a tempo, and you just run with it, and then and then and then within that tempo, if you have the time, you could you could boom, boom do a flam or something or or, or a paradiddle or something. You know, right. it's a, uh, it's just like it's just like once you get that rhythm, you just go and then you just keep that rhythm and then you just add stuff in there when you could. Okay, so when I talk to musicians, no, you played the drums. I'm mm-hmm. learning now. That makes sense. Okay. Um, you, 
I often talk to musicians about that perfect moment on stage. Mm -hmm. And it's, they're in the moment and they go somewhere else. Yeah. They're they're almost Mm -hmm. from out of body looking in. Does that happen in, in while you're you're rapping? Like, is that possible that all of a sudden Absolutely. you get to the point where you're... Absolutely. We just did, uh, we just performed at the um, Winneka Music Fest. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I actually stopped rapping my verse that, that my that my heart started pumping. Like, while I was, while I was performing, it was like, I didn't even know it was me. Like, it was just like... Wow, like so, so that out of body body experience is is really a real thing. It's like once I stopped, it was like, whew, wow, <laughs> that that was intense, you know. But like I was just in it. I was just I was just in it and golfed in it, and I really didn't even like. I'm so I like when I perform. I'm just I I'm focused on putting on the show and performing and making the right moves and stuff like that. Too much to think about how many people was in the crowd or. You know who's 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 paying attention, or you know, getting that getting that one person that you see over there is like, with the with the face like, what is this? You know, it's like, <laughs> I just I just I just black out and I just and I just jump all the way into the music and and then once the music stops, it's like, whew, wow, that was very 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 intense, you know. But yeah, do, that do out of body experience is so so serious. Sometimes like the first time that I, the first time that uh, I performed. With Joanna Connor, she uh, she um, she pulled me she she pulled me on the stage, out of the blue. I had no idea that this was gonna happen. <laughs> so, I'm just I and and I was like scared, scared. <laughs> I was like scared, scared, cause I'm she we had the uh, Kingston Mines and I'm just looking around. I'm like, oh wow, there's a lot of people. <laughs> Never did this before. You know what I'm saying? And and and. Yeah, once and then once I once once I once I did it, it, it the the fear the fear had left. Once I actually did it, and 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 mind you, the first time it really wasn't all that good. I was like <laughs> scared, yeah. like trembling, <laughs> like a deer in headlights, you know. And but after after I did it, after I did it, the fear had left, and it was like wow, I just had to do that. I just had to just break break that fear thing, you know. So. Yeah, it was very intense, and it is that the the outer body experience is so real. I I I would love to like study more about that. Like, how does that happen? Because yeah. it does happen, well, and I just don't even know when it happens. It's just like, does and then you just wake up and you just like, damn. Well, was- I always find the concept interesting because it's not something that I can relate to in in my everyday life. Yeah, but I would presume that if you playing a guitar solo mm-hmm. and you get to that point where all of a sudden things are just going very right. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the moment you think, oh, look at this, and you come out of it, then you've kind of lost that out-of-body experience. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, the, it's when you're floating and mm-hmm. and you're going with it, that's amazing. But as I would imagine that as soon as you realize that this is a special moment, you've kind of taking yourself out of that special yeah, yeah, moment, yeah. which I find yeah. fascinating. But, okay, so, Joanna, for you to bring Alfonso on stage, that's kind of a risky thing, especially because yeah. I presume most of your followers come to see you play the blues. Yes. Um, but you said you play reggae and various other things. Uh, tell me about that, the thinking behind that. You don't really want people to label you. You're open to doing different things 
tell me the thinking behind bringing rap on stage. Well, I mean, I play African American music. I I mean, it is mixed with Western things. It's not purely African, but it's African American. So the Europeans and the Africans met, and under circumstances we won't discuss, but it did bring this music. So I mean, rap or hip hop's a continuation. And I also look back on like the African griot, like G R I O T. That's in the tradition of African. So I feel like there's a stream. There's a there's a continuation. Um, Are you ever worried about not alienating your audience? But oh, maybe. they yeah. Some people were alienated. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. No, I never worry about that because I feel like if you don't like it, too bad. I mean, that's like my always been my attitude, like not to because I'm never gonna please everyone. And if you go on stage thinking. I mean, I tr- this is the thing. I do try to make people happy when they come to see me. I'm not arrogant about it. I want everyone to have fun. And right. so I bring to the table, like, so people can dance, so people can cry, so people can celebrate. There's going to be a, a whole spectrum. But at the bottom line is if I worried about pleasing people, which some artists do, I, that's not me. Like when there was a big political thing, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter and, and I pissed off a lot of people because like, I didn't realize how many people in the blues love Trump and I was going at it every day. And, I'm like, and people are like, you know, you shouldn't do this. Even some promoters, you shouldn't do this. You're going to alienate people. I was like, no, I don't care. So that's just me. I'm stubborn that way. So, And I also, I would not call someone up on stage if I didn't think they had talent. If they're not good, I'm not going to give you a pity spot. Right. I've done that a few times and it never works out. <laughs> so I don't do that. I, I only invite people I believe are qualified to be up there with us. So I knew he was qualified. And I and I want to help Alfonso and, and uh, get out there as much as possible because if I see talent, I've reached out to people before. I want to, if I can help them any kind of way, I mean, the music business is about that. You need some help sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, I want to return the favor. People have helped me. You know, so, so okay, you play at Kingston Mines on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You have your audience, and I don't know if it's repeats all the time, but I presume there's a big chunk that's a blues audience, and mm-hmm. there's a big chunk that are university kids. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So in some ways, they might be more open to. They are. To things. Yeah, I told Alfonso, I'm like, come later, because that's when the kid, yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. the crowd is younger. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So it does change the demographic. Mm-hmm. Like it's first, it's mostly people my age and older, and more. For the acoustic traditional, set, right? like the acoustic set yeah. and the first set with the band, it's yeah. an older crowd, and um, then around eleven midnight, it's like everyone's like thirty and under, pretty yeah. much. And believe it or not, that's my favorite crowd because they are partying, they're expressive, mm-hmm. they give you energy, and I think that's like my. F- they love me. It's really funny to me. I call them my children. <laughs> my children are here, all thousand of them. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and it's like my son would tell me, he's like, yeah, I'll be someone like, oh, that's Joanna Connor. He's like, yes, my mom. They're like, no, it's not your mom, you know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like pretty popular with like 35 and under, Yeah. which is funny to me. But I'm very happy about that. So when you decided to go off the road and stay in Chicago, could you have foreseen this to be, you know, where you are? And then at this point, do you think of changing things now that the mm. kids have grown up? Are you itching to go out more or, mm. nah, it's easy to stay in Chicago? And- um, I'm taking steps to be out more, and they're happening already. And, um, yeah, I'm ready to go out there more. Yeah. I mean, it's great to have a home base, and it, especially in winter when you don't want to travel. Yeah. I mean, um, unless you're flying. I'm like, I don't want to do that anymore. 
But if a good opportunity presents itself, I'm going. I mean, you have the yeah. unique thing of playing in a place. It's almost like having a residency. It uh-huh. is. And yeah. because Chicago has such a, um, a large tourism Tourist, industry, yeah, it does. or blues yes. tourism, that they come to you. Mm-hmm. Has that, in, in a way, helped expand who you are mm-hmm. in, in people's minds out there? It has. I mean, like I said, the world comes to me. I don't have to go to the world. So, And I've gotten a lot of opportunities just playing at the Kingston Mines. People, oh, I saw you at the Mines. Like this festival we just played, the mm-hmm. lady was like, I saw you at Kingston Mines two years ago, and I had to have you. And I did something at City Winery. because of, So it's like it's a great place to be. I've gotten a lot of exposure. And like yeah. like what they, I did, um, Public Radio just did a an, uh portrayal of me and there's like the lady said well when you're in Chicago you have deep dish pizza you see the Cubs and you go to see Joanna Connor and I'm like nice, oh yes. wow that's amazing you know <laughs> that is amazing yeah, yeah. Sure. do you feel like you're part of Chicago the music the Chicago blues music scene finally yeah mm. How took long? a long time yeah I mean was there a long time where you thought they're not accepting me or yeah what? yeah I did I felt kind of like an outsider I was like oh there's Joanna on the fringes you know, hanging there by a thread, but I've uh, I've become the elder statesman now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And how did you deal with that when you felt that? I just kept pushing. You know, I mean, having kids will give you a great motivator to just keep pushing because we got to pay the rent. So no one was going to detour that. And plus, you know, I just stubbornly pushed ahead like I do all the time. <laughs> So, Alfonso, where are you at with your career? You, you said you love playing live. Is it easy to get a lot of live gigs in, in, at the phase of the career that you're at? Yeah, I'm, well, well, not as of right now, no, because I'm still, like, I'm still, I'm, I'm still climbing up to that point and where, where I'll, like, be regularly booked here, regularly booked here and stuff like that. So, I'm, so, so really, really, I'm just, like... To be honest, like four or five months in into it, as far as like you know performing and things of that nature. So I'm still fairly new, but I've been rapping since I was like ten. But yeah, no, I'm 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 we're working toward that. We're working toward that. I'm I definitely um shake hands with a, a lot of great people, promoters and stuff. I do my due diligence as far as my artist work and you know creating that that good relationship with the people that you need to have relationships with. But is it about making recordings? Is it about doing lots of live gigs? What it's about it's about doing a lot of recording, a lot of live gigs. It's not it's, with with me it's not even it's not even about the money. It's about the music to me. Like as long as as long as I could be able to perform, I don't care if it's three people in the crowd. I'm gonna perform my ass off for you three people. You know what I mean? Like it's it's it's, it's just in me. I just love I just love to do music. I always wondered about that, how difficult that is to perform in front of three people. Like I know, and some <laughs> of the best concerts that I've seen mm-hmm. have been to a small group of people, yeah. but the band just Keeps kicked playing. ass. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and just to elevate it to such a degree that you think, my God, I can't. Like, you know, you hear about bands feeding off of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems quite um, true that if the crowd isn't big, you could still feed off of them. Yes. And, and to see a band conquer a small group of people and, and put on, you know, an, an insane show, mm-hmm. I find amazing in how they do that. From, from, from being on the stage, one thing that I, I've learned is, like, it could be 
50,000 people or it could be three people. It's that one person that, they, that you could see it. You could, like, you could look at them in their eyes and you could feel it. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm performing for you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it could be 50,000 people around, but it's that one person that's like losing it. You know what I mean? And it just, just, you just feed off that energy and it just keeps you going. Yeah. So if they want to hear your material, where would they find it? You can find it on um, SoundCloud at Bilingo, B-U-Y-L-I-N-G-O. Okay. And um, you could uh, follow, uh, you can also follow Bilingo, B-U-Y-L-I-N-G-O on um, Instagram. Links in the bio. You can hit the links in our bio and you can play our tunes. Okay. Um, when you work with Joanna mm -hmm. and somebody who I presume you look up to, somebody who's been around for a while. Yes. And I mean in the most positive sense oh, of Oh, I've been around a while. <laughs> I'm vintage. Tell me what you learned from her. What, what do you learn? I mean, it's a completely different genre, but it's, it's entertainment. It's music. What do you learn from watching Joanna on stage? Persistence and consistency is like, I, I literally be around watching her do these performances, like long, like long performances. One, one, one day we got out, the, out, out of the spot and, the, and, the, and then the sun was coming up and I'm like, Wow. <laughs> like, you're just doing it. And it's just like, that's what I learned to be fearless. Not to, not to overthink. Not to overthink or not to, you know, over, over question yourself. You know, just go out there and just lay, it, just lay it all out there. Just give it the best that you have. And yeah, I learned, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. It's like, it's so, it's, it's so intriguing to me to see her work. And it's like, I want to get there one day. That's what I want to do. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. So it, it, it just it just motivate it just motivates me. What what do you think of when you hear that? That that's, makes me smile. Yeah. Like yeah. when when I think, tell me what you thought of when you were leaving Massachusetts mm -hmm. and said move to Chicago, and and think I'm gonna become a musician and I'm gonna play the blues. Yeah. And a number of years later, here you are. Yeah. And part of the Chicago scene. Yeah. Tell me about what goes through your mind. Ah, uh, kind of amazement, first of all. I'm like, wow, it really happened as I pictured it. And even better, maybe, than I pictured it in some ways. Um, but the, I always tell people, envision what you want in your life first. You know, and you hear that a lot now. But really picture it and, and believe it, even when it seems unattainable. Just always have that core thing saying, no, this is going to happen. If you don't have that inside you, I don't know if it's possible for it to manifest. So, yeah. But I, I sit back and, like, you know, I'm so in what I do, and I've been, you know, but when I really look like, like, wow, this really is okay. This this worked, you know? <laughs> it was a good chance I took. At what point did you feel like it's worked? Recently, more than ever. You know, um, I, you know, back in the day, it was like I had an agent. Oh, we didn't have any gigs this month. I mean, there was times I was selling equipment to pay the rent, and you know, it was rough. And uh, well, we didn't get you on this thing. We got two weeks off. You know, it was times it was lean. And uh, now I'm like turning down work. Like oh, I can't do this. I'm busy. Mm -hmm. So I'm in. I'm in a great position where people are calling me to work, not me chasing. So that's that's been a wonderful series of events you know um at its lowest point maybe not the lowest point but when you went through low points mm -hmm. um what did you hold on to that kept you going 
There were times I wanted to quit. I'll be completely honest. Like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do this. And I, I, uh, I did go back to college for a little while. Uh, I said, I'm going to become a teacher. That lasted about a year. I kept playing. You're still a teacher. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, that's the second thing I do best, I think, is teach. But, um, so do you do a lot of teaching? No, I think just in life. I, I did actually just recently do a, a week-long teaching thing mm-hmm. at Roosevelt University, and I really enjoyed it. And all the my students loved me. Yeah, the Blues Camp. Yeah. Yeah, they really enjoyed it. They already asked me back. Like, we want you back next year. I, li- I, like, I like doing it. It's, it's really fun and inspiring to mm-hmm. me, you know. And to see people come along and, you know, learn things, it makes it's very rewarding to me. But, yeah, there were times I just was like, I can't stand this. Um, and, you know, there were times I had bands that weren't as great as I wanted them to be. But recently I have the best musicians I've ever had. And it's been like every night I'm like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing after all these years. And I look at them and, like, like we, especially the bass player and I, we vibe all night. Like all night. And he's, like, never, his energy is always high. Mm-hmm. And he's always paying attention to me. And I'm paying attention to him. We have a conversation all night long. So he's brought extreme joy to me. He's been, been with me almost a year. So that's been, his name is Juwan Scott, Jay Red. Jay Red. Give a shout out to him. And he comes from a pedigree of musicians back to his great, great grandmother was a singer. He's from a whole legacy of musicians. So yeah, it's been wonderful. So like everything's kind of falling into place. Well, that's nice. Did yeah. you have a new album coming out? Yes, yes. Tell me about that. Well, I we're finishing up the last session Wednesday, and then we're going to start mixing. It's going to be on MC Records, who did my last two releases. Um, Mark Carpentieri, who's a great guy, gives me complete artistic freedom, yes. which a lot of labels won't do. Because they might have said, well, I'm not sure about that hip hop thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I sent him the, the, the tune after it was like rough done, and he's like, wow, this is great. So, um, yeah, so he was... Which I was like, kind of like, oh. we did a recent one, uh, which is even very political, um, really deep. Mm-hmm. And Alfonso's doing the whole thing, very political, very deep. Yeah, very deep Touching. history, everything, yeah. and it's very powerful. So it's gonna ruffle some feathers. Yes. So I'm I'm interested to see what will happen with that. But it needs to be said. And I, I told him, I said, you know, we, I want you to take this too, and I want you to talk about what's going on in America right now. And that's all I said. And he's like sat there and eight million verses later, because mm-hmm. this is a long song. So long, I was yeah. like, wow, this is powerful. So, okay, now when you perform that, will it be performed the same way every night? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it would have to be, I think. The message is strong. I'm yes, like, because when we first uh, met, you know, we started to talk. He's like, Yeah, I do. I want to send you some of my music. So I had a day off and I'm like laying in bed half dead because I played till five in the morning at mm-hmm. the mines. And he sends me like 13 songs. Boop, 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 boop. And I hit this one. He's called Real Spit. He's mm-hmm. called, and it's so deep and it's political. And I'm like, This man is deep. Yeah. So when I heard that in him, you know, because I already liked his flow, his rhythm, his voice, everything, and his songs were clever. But then when I heard that, I'm like, oh, we can go here. Mm-hmm. I like this. So, like, you know, like almost like Gil Scott Heron, that legacy, you right. know? So, yeah, so we'll see. But, but the, with the new record, um, it goes from <laughs> everything from, like, acoustic instrumentals to soul to yes. jazz 
swing to rock yes. to like straight up boogie blues. How do to you rap. how do you ensure that there is a coherent line that goes? I don't know if it. there's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of screaming guitar on it, but th- it is all kind of all over the place. But um, I think hopefully people accept it. If they don't, I mean, I think there's something for everyone, but I think the performance, like the band just did everything in pretty much one take. Yeah. In a few hours, they like laid it down. Mm -hmm. So the band performance is great. And um, I think the guitar playing is really good. The best guitar playing I've ever done. I think the songs are strong. I mean, it is going to be a little bit all over the map, but that's where I'm kind of hoping with, like I said, the culture kind of opening up that people will be like, Okay, and then I also hope that it will, through the hip-hop stuff that we're doing, through the political stuff, that some of the younger crowd will buy it or, or listen to it, because mm-hmm. they come to the shows. Yeah. But now maybe that'll open a door to them. And there's enough straight-ahead blues songs where if we have to get on blues radio, I think they'll accept it. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll see. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Thank, thank you. you so much for doing thank this. Thank you for having me. And real pleasure meeting both yeah, of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um. Uh, like music, like is a, is a universal language. So if somebody doesn't like it, somebody will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's you know? true. And music is music is what helped me get through my downs, my my bad times. It would put on a song for anything. Yeah, it's, it's a, there's a song for every single emotion. Yeah, and you could just and, and you could just put it on, and it's like. Oh, I needed to hear that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like, like one day, uh, what well, the other day, the day before yesterday, was, I was in the car and listening to Lauren Hill, and I like bawled out crying because she was saying <laughs> she was saying yeah, that, and it was just was. like, wow. Like even talking about her, I got goosebumps. Uh, you know no, what I mean? mean and that's and that's music. That's, you just that's blew what, your hardcore rapper image. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what and that's what and that's what music does. That that's what music is. Music is 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 a is a healing. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a healing tool for everyone. Amen everyone. to that. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.